Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is July 5th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and our word for today is tested. When you were in school, did you enjoy taking tests? Do you like being tested in general? Well, if you're like me, I did not like taking tests. And I don't like going through tests. I don't like being tested. But that is our word for today. And it is something that we must grapple with because there is a time of testing coming to the believers. Today's word is going to be a little bit different than what I normally We are still reading the lectionary scriptures, the scriptures in the uh, lectionary for the year. But it's a little bit different in, I guess, how I'm going to present this word and the teaching. Because I feel in my heart, in my spirit, that there is a real time of testing coming to the church coming to us as believers. And it's not something that we should fear, but we do need to prepare for it because we are living in a system that has not been good for believers to prepare themselves. And when I say system, I'm referring to the world system, but there is a religious system that has gripped much of the church across the world but specifically here in the United States, as that is where I live. And I see it so much in the church. We have allowed a system of religion, which is part of the world system. It's not part of what God has created. It's something that mankind has created. It's part of the fallen world system. And it has has gripped us, and it has caused us not to be prepared for times of testing. And so because of that, I feel very strongly in my heart from this message that God is wanting us to better prepare. So with this, let's get into our lectionary reading and what it is I believe God wants us to hear today. So we'll begin with Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 5 through 9. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war, of disaster, and pestilence. 
As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Now, there's a lot of context missing from just reading this this passage here. So let me add a little bit of that to help us understand what in the world is happening and what does this mean? So you have the prophet Jeremiah, and he has been prophesying really against Judah. Uh, the nation of Israel has been split into Israel and Judah. Uh, the nation of Israel forsake the Lord, and the Assyrians came and conquered them and carried off all the people. So it was only Judah is left. And Judah has eventually succumbed to the same idol worship and evilness, and now the Lord has said, I'm done with you. And Jeremiah has been prophesying that they're about to be carried off into exile. And But as Jeremiah does this, he's one of the only prophets to prophesy this. See, all the other prophets are or say, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. And so here's the prophet Hananiah, who has been prophesying that the Lord is going to provide divine intervention for Judah, that he is going to come in and save Judah because they are God's chosen people. And he has prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which is who does eventually conquer Judah and carry them away, and he's the threat at the moment. But Hananiah has prophesied that in two years, God is going to intervene. He's going to take out Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to break Nebuchadnezzar's power. And and that um, Judah would be free. That people that have already been taken away by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, they're all going to come home. And this is my paraphrase, the... the that you know everyone's going to come home and be hunky dory and it'll be life as usual. God is going to do this, and so this is where this passage picks up, because Jeremiah says to Hananiah, "Amen, the Lord do so." And of course, "Amen" means so be it. So here's Jeremiah saying, "You know, so be it, the Lord do so to your prophecy." That's what he's responding to. Is Jeremiah saying, "I wish your prophecy would come true." Um, then he says, "Nevertheless, this is the word I have to speak." And he basically says, listen, there have been prophets before me that has been prophesying this day is coming. And the war, the disaster, the pestilence, it's it's coming. And he ends it up with these words, as for the prophet who prophesies a peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And see, and this is Jeremiah really taking a stab and Hananiah without actually using his name because he's like if the prophet has prophesied peace then he'll be known as a real prophet when it actually happens because see up to this point Judah has already been partially conquered by Babylon Babylon has come in with King Nebuchadnezzar and they've they've conquered them but they've left people they took away the king and they've replaced the king with one of his brothers and and so uh, the total destruction and exile of the people has not taken place yet. And prophets like Hananiah were prophesying to the current king, which was, uh, was, was King Zedekiah. He was the brother, um, that Nebuchadnezzar has put on the throne. And so they're, they're sort of kind of stirring up this patriotic where God's people were Judah. God's going to intervene. 
And because of it, it was making the people very rebellious against Babylon. And, and, and so decided that they, they could rebel. God would intervene, that it's all going to be okay. And of course, in history, uh, Zedekiah did rebel against Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar did come in and he killed uh, Zedekiah. He killed them and he hauled off all the Jews uh, into captivity. An interesting thing, they arrested and imprisoned Jeremiah. And then when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he actually freed Jeremiah and set him up rather nice uh, to live his life in peace in Judah. Um, but, but again, the words of Hananiah never come to pass. And, Zedek- and Jeremiah is prophesying, well, you know, he wants it to. He wants that to happen. But he's going, well, you'll only be known as true if it happens. Because Jeremiah's like, I'm saying the same thing that other prophets have been saying forever. And, and I'm in good company. And this is not. And so I wanted to start with that, talking about being tested. What does this have to do with being, being tested? And we're being tested now because it is a religious spirit, this religious system that Hananiah has accepted. And he's prophesying out of this. And, of course, you continue reading Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah eventually calls Hananiah a liar. He prophesies lies and he's a liar. Now, whether Hananiah did it on purpose or not really isn't known. And when I say purpose, understand this. He might have prophesied a false prophecy, a lie, but he might have believed the lie. You see, there's a difference between I just believe something that's incorrect versus I know it's incorrect and I'm going to lie to your face anyway. If Hananiah truly believed God was going to do this and he prophesied it, it's still a false prophecy and therefore it's still a lie. And he's still prophesying lies, but he just believes those lies. And I'm not here to debate, did he believe it? Was he, or, just, or was he just evil and doing it on purpose? But you see, the religious system is what empowered him. And today... We have a religious system in place. And we as believers, we need to be realistic. We need to look at where we are. We need to look at where our country is. We need to look at where the world is. We need to open our eyes and go, you know, God told us we could we could see times and seasons. And we need to see what season, what time are we the church in, in this moment. We don't know when the end will come. We don't know dates and and we're not trying to make predictions but the lord does tells us that we can recognize times and seasons and right now the the world is in perilous times the entire world is entering into a very perilous point there's right now not just one or two catastrophes hanging over the world there's dozens upon dozens of catastrophes I was speaking to a dear friend and we were talking about it. There's just so many and maybe none of them happen. One of them would be catastrophic, but it looks like they're all converging onto a point. And if you study eschatology, you study the end times, you, 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 you read Revelation. If you're a cessationist and you think that all this is done with, well, then what I'm about to say doesn't make any sense to you because it's just garbage. But if you believe the Word of God is living and active, that revelation and the, there's there are prophecies yet to come, that Jesus Christ is coming back, that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives today, then what I, what I say should make sense. 
because there is a culmination of the end of this age that is coming. I don't know when. I'm not trying to make predictions. But we're definitely in a point of perilous times within that point. And if you remember those prophecies, I'm not going to go back and just quote all the prophecies, but in Revelation it talks about, you know, near the time of the Antichrist, that people will be saying, peace, peace. And when people are prophesying peace, sudden destruction comes. And that's funny because here in the Old Testament, here's Jeremiah um, listening to Hananiah, and Hananiah's praying, is prophesying, peace, peace is coming. God's going to divinely enter in and save us because we are the chosen people. And Jeremiah's like, well, I hope it comes to pass, but you'll be known if you're true, but if, if it happens. There's a lot of quote-unquote prophets in the United States that are saying God is going to divinely intervene and save our nation. And I say like Jeremiah, I hope that is so. But the idea that we in the United States are God's chosen people and therefore he must intervene is much more silly than the Jews who were living in the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. I mean, David had been promised to have someone on the throne forever. They were, they, they were God's chosen people, and yet God sent them into exile. You know, our, our country, we, we, we have abortion. We have sexual immorality running rampant. We have people calling evil good and good evil. We have addictions. I, I you know you could go on the list. I'm not trying to get specific and name them, but you listening to me, you know what I speak is true. There is a growing satanic evilness and occultism that is rising up in our nation. And it's foolish to think that God will just turn his eye and go, well, you know, they're my chosen people. A judgment begins in the house of house of the Lord. But you see, it's religion that justifies sin and God will, God won't judge us. We're his people. And the religion in us says, well, God will just have to deal with it himself sort of thing. And because we're the chosen people and he just has to excuse it. Um, God saves people, but nations come and go. You know, Jesus Christ did not come and down across to save a country. He came to save you and me. He came to save people. He loves people and you see this religion thing it wants us to believe the church is a building and the church is an organization and the church is a denomination and and that and that and that and that and that we as christians are are, are citizens of nations and none of that's true as a christian i'm a citizen of heaven god loves me and you as people and a nation is blessed because the people of god are in it but when the nation no longer listens to the people of God, when it no longer blesses God's people, then God curses them. Because it's part of that, that kind of, I will, God says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. When the, when the nation turns against God, that is bad. But when God's people, when they turn against God's people, and God's people turns against God's people, and, you have this level of thing going on that you see a curse is released and God has a way of sending his people into exile, which by the way, 
when Daniel went, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to exile, he protected them. He lifted them into positions, just like when Joseph went into Egypt, he made him second command of all Egypt, and he protected God's people when they were went into Egypt. Likewise, when Israel was carried off into Babylon, God protected. Daniel was like number two of all Babylon, and then when the Persians came in and beat up Babylon, the Persians made him number two in power over the whole realm. The, 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 the Jews were always blessed and protected, even in exile. And it's the same way with us as God's people. It doesn't matter ultimately what nation. There was an underground church in China with over 100 million believers. You know, China is the largest Christian nation in the planet. I don't know. You go, China's not a Christian nation. Well, they have 100 million Christians. That's more than the United States. They are the largest, quote, Christian nation, even though that 100 million is just a very small percentage of the 1.3 billion people or, or so. I don't, don't quote me on the exact number there, but it's over a billion people that are in China. Um, they still have more Christians than any other nation. That's why China is beginning to flourish as a world power. It's not politics. It's not armies. It's they have God's people growing there produces blessing. But here in the States, we have many Hananiah prophets that are prophesying good things when the truth is, is that God wants the church to be salt and light. And if we're not the salt and light, if we are no longer stopping the evil and the evil spreads, God has a way of tampering that himself. Are you ready for that type of test? Again, the test is not to hurt us. The test is to elevate us as God's people. The test is to judge and keep back evil in the world. But it is a test. Are we listening to the false prophecies like Hananiah? Are we seeking out the real words from the Lord that would come from like a Jeremiah? Now let's look at another scripture, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. It reads, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, she marries another man. She will be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she is free from that law. So there is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. 
And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what has is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me, though what is good, so that through sin the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now I know that's that's a mouthful to say, and it's a mouth it's a lot of words to hear. It can sound really complicated. And I'm not here to do a verse by verse with it. But I am here to speak on this word tested. What does this have to do with being tested? This speaks so much about the law. It speaks about life in the spirit. But it talks about, it gives an example. If a woman and a husband and they're married and the woman goes off and marries somebody else, that makes her an adulteress. But if the husband dies and then the woman, she's free. She's free from the law. She can marry anybody else. Her husband is, is, is gone. She's been free from that uh, covenant, that, 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 that contract of marriage. She's, she's free. The law that held her to just the one is gone because he's passed away. And it, the idea is that the law, the commandments that told us what death was, you break this law, you die. Um, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he's fulfilled the law. And so suddenly we're free. We, we're now free for that. We have an option to be free from sin. And you see, the point I want to make with this is that, just like this example, the law and sin are married to each other. As long as you have the law, there's punishment for wrong. And so, because we live in a fallen and sinful world, none of us are perfect. So because of that, because of the law, we are all bound to death and created by sin because it's marriage. Of course, Jesus has come and he's paid that price and he's died for you and I. That means that when we come to him as believers, um, we die because he died on the cross. He, we, we trade positions. He gives us life because he was sinless and he takes our death on the cross. So suddenly by doing this in, in a sense, that part of us that's been married to the law is now in sin is dead and we are now free. We can live by the Spirit in Jesus Christ and we can, we can, we have this opportunity to live a new life, a new life, free from sin, free from this. But if we as believers continue to sin, if we go back to sin, it gives sin an opportunity. And it talks about that. That's what sin does. It takes the opportunity to try and wed us back to the law. It wants to put us back into bondage, even though we've been freed from that. And I want, I want to take that because this is a test for you and I. And in this word about this religious system, that wants to bind us in. See, there's a religious system that wants us to think that if I go to church, I, I gave I gave my tithe, I gave money at church, I, I went there, and I'm I'm a member here, and I'm a Christian, and I don't go every week, but I, you know I go once a month, or I go once a once every few months, or, or or whatever it is. You think that because you do that, and 
Yeah, oh yeah, I believe in God. We say, yeah, 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 but I believe in God. But you don't read your Bible. You don't, you don't pray. I mean, and when I say you don't pray, I don't mean, oh God, I have a bill to pay. Give me some money or, you know, almost like the, the kid. We're talking about testing, taking tests. How many kids who don't care about Jesus, when the teacher pulls out a pop test or taking a final exam, they're all praying, oh God, help me pass. Help me pass. It's almost like the idea that someone says I'm an atheist and then they join the army and they get in war and they're in a foxhole and people are shooting at There are no atheists in a foxhole. I can't tell you how many soldiers and people I heard, especially from World War II and World War One, and even Vietnam, they talk about there's no atheists in foxholes. They're all praying. They're all praying they get to go home. Um, but you see, those type of prayers, those aren't type of salvation prayers. That's not... I know you, Jesus, and save me from hell. That's not that type of prayer. Um, that's just not one to pay the penalty. That's like you kill someone, you go before the judge, and the judge says, you killed this person, you're guilty, I'm going to give you life in prison, or I'm going to give you the electric chair, whatever it is, and then you're screaming, oh, judge, have mercy on me. You know, you know, I, I don't want to die. Um, at that point, or I don't want to go to prison, it's too late at that point. Screaming out, I, I know it was wrong and bad because the sentence has already been read. There's no going backwards into your trial to try to make that correct. You've already been formed guilty and they've already told you what the sentence is. It's too late at that point. And so like this scripture here and this idea of being tested is that you and me as believers, we don't want this religious system to lull us into this thing that we can just allow sin to come into the church, to come into our lives. And now I know none of us are perfect. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we allow something we know that is wrong, something that we know that is evil, to come in and take a place, and we just won't say or do or think anything negative about it. We're just going to allow it to happen, and we will make it normal. You know, there's a, there's one thing I can say. I, I can't tell you how many believers I've had that have, don't want to be my friends anymore because I've seen believers that it's like, listen, if you drink a glass of wine, if you actually drink a glass of beer, no, you're not going to go to hell. There's no scripture that says that's going to send you to hell. However, the Bible does say that drunkards and drunkenness is not in the kingdom of God. That is a sin. You don't go to heaven for being a drunkard. It says that. If, you, if you're a drunkard, drunkenness will not inherit the kingdom of God. So people take the little liberty and then they, they, they go the full route. And I, you know, I believe, well, I'm not a drunkard. But he's driving around with a 12-pack in his car. Listen, a 12-pack of beer is is not in your liberty of, well, I, I had a little alcohol, so I'm not going to hell. That's drunkenness. You cannot tell me that you're just drinking a little bit and that's going to last you six months. You see, it's deception. You've deceived yourself and you want to see that. And you see, the church is full of that. The church is full of alcoholics and we say it's okay. The, the church is full of people trapped in pornography. The church is full of people that are committing adultery. 
that are in sexual immorality, that are living sexually deviant lives. And we try to say, it's okay, Jesus loves them. And yes, Jesus loves them, and he died so that they could be free from these things. And that's what we, the church, need to say. It's, we're not trying to judge them. We're trying to say, you can be free. Jesus loves you and wants you to be free of these things. We're not condoning. We're offering you freedom. If you're struggling, we want to pray for you. We want to help you out of it. We don't want to close our eyes and allow you to stay in it. There's so much things about going on about affirmation. You know, counselors, it's not really legal for counselors to affirm. If you had dyslexia, or no, it's not dyslexia, excuse me. If you had bulimia, if you had an eating disorder like bulimia, and you thought you believed you were fat, and so you quit eating. And you know, people die. People die from these this this eating disorders because they think they're fat and they just don't eat and they barf up their food. And as a counselor, you would not affirm that person into saying, you know what, you are fat, quit eating. They would never do that because it's wrong. It's not right with reality. It's wrong. You don't look at an alcoholic who's lost his job and destroying his family, and you don't affirm him and to continue to drink. And then continue to destroy things. And go ahead and drive a car and run over kids. That's not what you say. You know, people, you know, kleptomaniacs are stealing stuff. You don't affirm them in that. You, you try to offer them freedom. And it's the same way with any sin. We are to offer them freedom that is offered through Jesus Christ. And we are to try to stand with them when they struggle with their flesh. And, and that's what we're supposed to do. But see, there's a religious system that wants to blind us. And this is a test. This is a a crucial test for the church. Are we going to live a life in the spirit, free from this law? See, if we if we go back into these sins, you see, we're associating ourselves with the law, because what we're doing is what we're saying is that because I'm a Christian, because I've gone to church, because I've given money, that is good enough to buy my salvation. And we're locking ourselves into these works. And we try to deceive ourselves by saying, well, God loves me and has forgiven me. But we it, we think it's the act of, well, I'm a, I'm a child of God, so I'm excused. It's like the scripture here, certainly not. Certainly not. Now, one more scripture here. I know I'm going a little long. But Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 42 says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those in his own household. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, of course, this is Jesus speaking. It's a powerful passage, and I want to start with the verse 41 that says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Because we start with Jeremiah and Hananiah. 
and you see which prophet are you going to receive. See, they're both giving you words from the Lord. Now you have to discern. If you were there in that age, in that time, you'd have to discern, is Jeremiah speaking the truth or is Hananiah speaking the truth? Which one of them is prophesying correctly? I must discern this. Because if you receive Hananiah's word, then you receive Hananiah's reward. And you see, Hananiah's reward was, it was a lie and he was judged by God. And, and it was not a good thing. He fell with everyone else that believed that system, that word. If you believe Jeremiah's word and you listen to him, then you received all the blessings that came with his word because he was speaking the true word of God. See, that's the same for you and me. This is our test. Are we going to get in relationship with God so that we can discern where you and I need to be? That, that This is the test. Are we going to... Which which are we going to believe here? Are we going to listen to sin? Are we going to listen to religion and the world? Are we going? Are we going to? Is that our answer on the test? Is that what we're going to do? Or are we going to follow what God says? Now, notice here, Jesus said He didn't come to bring peace. Now He is the Prince of Peace. But you see, when you stand up for Jesus, you put yourself at odds with the world. Jesus said, the world hates me, and it'll hate you. And he continues this. You know, God's not here trying to worsen your family life and make parents and kids and people fight in your families. It's not what God wants. But you have to understand, when you embrace the Lord, sometimes the biggest enemies you will have will even be the very people in your home, your families, your mothers, your your fathers, your, your sons, your daughters, people in your families. In-laws. Because that person does not want to put Jesus first. See, when he says, if if you put someone before me, if you don't love me, if you have, if you love your children or your parents before me, you're not worthy of me. It's not that God doesn't want you to love people. God wants us to love them. He wants us to love our enemies. He wants us to love people. But we must love him first. Number one. Because if we put someone in front of him, that's an idol. I know, I know many Christian parents that have put their children in front of God and I've watched their children. They always go astray. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts. They make their kid an idol and their whole home goes, goes to crap. Excuse my language there, but it's what it is. It's, it's, it's garbage. It's smelly garbage. They may have such a wonderful looking home when they're 12 and, and 13, 14. Uh, by 25, it's, it's a total wreck. It is a total, it's always that way. Because they, they put a person in front of the Lord. And I've seen many people say, no, I don't, no, I don't. Words are cheap. You always show in actions what you believe. That's why we're always being tested with this, this flesh and sin. Because we have to what? Take up our cross and follow him. The cross is an instrument of death. See, we have to give up our life, our desires, our wants. See, we have to put down our plans. And you see, that's that idea with, with Hananiah, with this, with this, his, his prophesying was, oh, God's going to save us. He's going to divinely intervene because we're his chosen people. And Jeremiah said, oh, I, wish, I hope that's true. So be it. So be it. I wish it was true. However, 
You see, there's a lot of words that's coming out right now about God's going to save, God's going to save. Listen, is that what I want or is that what God wants? Is that what I desire or is that what God desires? See, I have to lay down my desires for the Lord. I have to lay all that down. I have to choose to listen to the real spirit. We have to discern that, you and I. We have to do those things. See, in the very end, Jesus says, if you give one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of the disciple, um, he's talking about the children. Because the little children were wanting to run up to him and his disciples were like, ah, we don't want these little kids here, you know, because they're little kids and they're not important enough and they're trying to send them away. And Jesus sort of rebuked them about, don't send away the kids, you let them come to me. Because there was an innocence. See, they were, they were young, they were immature, but they could see who he was and they wanted to be with him. And Jesus like, don't do that. And you see, that, see, that's what that religious thing does. It wants to say, listen, these little insignificant things here, send it away because this is this, the bigger picture here. We're God's people and, 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 and God's going to save. Listen, Jesus is going to save us like little children that are coming to him. But he's not going to save this religious system that says, no, no, you're not important. He's not, he's not going to do that. I just want to pray right now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this word tested, Father. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that those who have listened all the way up to this point, God, that you would bless them with the spirit of discernment, God, that you would gift them, God, to hear your voice clearly, Lord, in these times of perilous times that we're in, God. Father, I pray that you'd give them, Father, the voice to hear the truth of your word, the truth of your spirit, God, that you would draw them close to you, God. That, Lord, that they would really experience you, God, your hand of protection, your hand of provision, God. And the Father, that they would take up their cross and follow you, God. Lord, we're not perfect. That's why you died on the cross, God. You, 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 you died for that, Lord, but you intend for us to follow you. You intend for us to follow you. God, that's what I pray for. Is that you just put boldness and strength in us, God, to follow you in these days, God. Help us to be a voice and to lead other people to you, that they could experience your love and your forgiveness, God. And Lord, we thank you for what it is that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can listen to other teachings on our website at www.christianimpact.net. You can also check out more information about our ministry. And until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.